Lucky number 13 reared its ugly head on me last week as I found myself voiceless for a couple of days. Quite literally, and for some unknown reason, I lost my voice and was unable to record the episode we're about to get into today. Funny enough, this episode is all about disappointment, as I want to chat about a few disappointments that I experienced two weeks ago now. Well, let's add losing one's voice to the mix and get into it, shall we? In four, three, two. Hello, art enthusiasts and art lovers. Welcome to lucky episode number 13 of Art Wonderful, the podcast where art is a religion. I'm your host, Nicholas Harper. I'm broadcasting from my art studio deep within the Rogue Buddha Gallery that's in the heart of the Northeast Arts District in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I want to thank you for joining me as we explore everything the arts have to offer. It's the mission of this podcast to spread the gospel of the arts, their essential value to our everyday lives, and to offer a deep dive exploration into this most mysterious of subjects. You can learn more about myself, the Rogue Booty Gallery, this podcast, and those we have on the show by visiting us online at roguebuddha.com. Click podcast from the menu. In lieu of a weekly update as to what has all been going on with me in the Rogue Buddha Gallery over the past week, well, now two weeks since I last saw you all, I thought I would make an entire episode around the major theme that seemed to be the soup du jour of two weeks ago. That is, disappointment. I'll get into that here in a second, but suffice it to say... I've still been actively painting and staying busy, and, by way of a bit of good news, I released my second and third free prints from the Free Print Friday series. The second print offered features a pen and ink and watercolor study called Ennui, a quite fitting title if I do say so myself. The third print in the series is titled Luna. These free prints again are available at roguebuddha.com forward slash print. And despite the few bits of bad news that dotted my artistic landscape as of late, the number of people who downloaded these first three prints, along with all of the amazing feedback that came by way of comments and personal messages, which flooded in, well, that more than made up for the few dents and bruises that I might have accrued. So to all of you that downloaded the print and shared some feedback, thank you. It means a lot to know that I may be touching your lives in a positive way, even if only in some small or minuscule way. And just know that your feedback and your sharing these prints along with this podcast with your friends, well, it touches my soul. So thank you. And now, on to my week of foibles. Last week was marked by a number of soft blows that not so much dented my art business, as they did to, well, my ego. Any artist that's going to go all in by way of making a go with an art career will tell you that things are not always Pollyanna, happy-go-lucky. Beyond the normal torments involved in sharing our soul with the public, we, well, we have to deal with the blows that come by way of, well, sometimes even just pure all-out rejection. It's one thing to be ignored or shunned for what we create, even if we're the ones shunning ourselves, which more often than not is the case, but there's a special recipe for the salt in the wound that accompanies being rejected. The only thing that can make a rejection even more bitter, in case you wonder, is being rejected not just once, not just twice, but three times in one week. 
When it rains, it seems to pour. Last week, I was caught without an umbrella. Rejection isn't anything new to me. In fact, my career's been riddled with it. Chances are, if you've been in the art game 20 years, you too have felt your fair share of disappointments. So this isn't anything new. But then again, I still hear from a ton of artists that feel the hurt deeply when not getting into an exhibit, an art fair, or getting that grant they applied for. Believe me, I know their pain, as two of those things happened to myself last week. First, a grant I was pretty keen on notified me that I didn't rate so much as to be even one in nearly six finalists. Ouch. Then, a venue that I really want to exhibit in, and think a specific body of my work would be perfect for, notified me that I would not be a part of their foreseeable exhibition calendar. Double ouch. Now, luckily, I've been able to learn to deal with these types of rejections and disappointments. At first, what I would do is, well, mentally lash out at those administering specific grants that had rejected me. That wasn't the best idea. Over time, I started to convince myself that it wasn't me, that it was them. This barricading of my ego to outside threats, well, it worked for a while. But eventually, this facade of bravado would fail, and my ego would be left unprotected as it stared into those unforgiving eyes of rejection. That said, no, it's not us. No, it's definitely not us. And so it was that I had to find a new strategy in dealing with disappointments. One of the things I look forward to the most each and every year is the Minnesota State Fair. To be more specific, I look forward to entering and being accepted into the Minnesota State Fair Fine Arts Competition, or as I like to call it for short, the MSFFAC. My infatuation with the State Fair began as a child. While most were undoubtedly drawn to the games and rides of the Midway or the curds and cookies, I was drawn to Machinery Hill. That's where all the big farm equipment was on display. The 4-H buildings, they were up in that area as well. As well as the various arts and crafts buildings, including the fine arts building. These were all tucked neatly far away from all the cool, trendy areas of the fair. It was in these buildings where people showed their skills off and were justly rewarded with big ribbons and the accompanying accolades. Everything from, of course, the fine arts to, well, knit goods, woodworking, baking, jams, and jellies, you name it. If there was a handcrafted something or another, or a food stuff, sure enough, it could make its way into one of the categories and be judged. Seed art. They even had seed art. In fact, that's actually one of the cooler categories, if you ask me. And so when I began making art on the serious, one of the first things I did was to run a painting over to the open call for the art show a month prior to the fair's opening. Sadly, that first painting I entered was, well, rather hideous. It had a makeshift hand-built frame with exposed nails and a layer of not-quite-yet-dry paint. Needless to say, that work did not make it into the hollowed walls of the MSFFAC. My first check in the rejection side of the ledger entered in ink. It would be a number of years before I would finally be accepted into the MSFFAC, and as luck would have it, or perhaps it was just the art gods throwing me a bone for my tenacity, the painting I entered that year not only got accepted, 
but ended up winning the first place blue ribbon for oil painting. To make the W all that more sweet was the fact that the juror that year was a curator at the Minneapolis Institute of Art, or the MIA, as I like to call it. Checkmark for the win side of the ledger. Naturally, I went into the next year's competition thinking I had it in the bag, that I figured out the secret recipe for success, and that I was, if not a lock for another blue ribbon, surely I was a shoe-in to be accepted. As it turned out, those checks on the rejection side of the ledger, well, they had a new friend that year, as I was flatly rejected. Not only did I not even place, I wasn't allowed to compete. It would be another three or four years until once again being honored by having a piece in the MSFFAC. A few years ago, I wrote an article about my experiences with the fair. I've republished that article on my blog, which you can find at roguebuddhism.com or go to roguebuddha.com forward slash podcast. In writing that article, I realized over the past 20 years, I've been rejected nearly three out of four times I've entered. That's a 75% losing percentage. If I bet on stocks or pretty much anything, well, it's a good thing I'm not a gambling man. This percentage rate certainly didn't align with what I thought my art career would be like when I first started to get serious in my late teens and early 20s. Like most artists, since early on I was enamored by the lives of famous artists. From Van Gogh and Picasso to Pollock, Caravaggio to Francis Bacon, Klimt and countless others, the lives of each of these artists intrigued me for various reasons, some for their successes and others for their failures. I guess you could call it a type of romanticism to think about Pollock or Modigliani dying tragic deaths or Picasso living to a ripe old age but perhaps being tortured by the wilting of his youth. Then there's the successes that some had manifested and the glam and glitz that went along with those successes. For me, one of the earliest influences by way of success came by way of Basquiat. While I knew a little bit about him, it wasn't until I saw the movie Basquiat that I became completely mesmerized myself. For some reason, I gleamed onto his rocket ship of success as a role model for my own art career. Now looking back, I realize maybe it was just a really good soundtrack that had me hooked. It certainly wasn't his drug lifestyle or his early drug-induced death that had me so enthralled. But nonetheless, this idea of quick and rapid ascension into art fame it had me by the scruff, and I set out to make my own way in the art world. The week after seeing the movie Basquiat, I found myself going gallery to gallery, armed with Polaroids of my artwork. The only question I had was which gallery would be the one to sign me and give me that exhibition bonus up front. Needless to say, things didn't go the way I thought they would in that first venture, but that's a story for a different episode. Fast forward 20-some-odd years later, and I'm reminded of a quote by Prince. Sometimes it takes years for a person to become an overnight success. Words as humbling as they are true. Now, of course, every art career is different, just as every situation is different. And for some, a rapid ascent is written in their stars, for any number of reasons. 
I remember venturing out to Edina, a suburb of Minneapolis, to a pretty fancy gallery in my early 20s to meet a woman by the name of Natasha something or other. She was a quote-unquote child prodigy. According to the media, she was the reborn Picasso, and at the age of 16, she was commanding huge prices for her originals and prints. I was lucky enough to meet her that day, and she was a nice enough person, and her paintings were, well, they were nice. I'm sure her father's marketing firm or high commission on sales had nothing to do with her ascent into stardom, but I digress. For those of us who are left to our own devices to forge our name in the stars, the ascent to success can be a long and hard one, and one riddled with setbacks, whether they be outright rejections or just setbacks and disappointments. Like many are feeling with the closure of various art fairs and studio tours that we look forward to and count on for revenue and exposure. In a previous episode, I mentioned that the largest open studio tour in America, which just happens to take place in my neck of the woods, was canceled for the year. While perhaps understandable, it is nevertheless a shock to many, and leaving many wondering, what am I going to do now? And this gets back to how I've come to cope with rejection and disappointments. Again, while at first I tended to lash out towards those that rejected me, grant administrators and jurors, for example, or Big Brother as the case may be here, or just old acts of God as the case also may be, this was a vain attempt to protect my ego, to shelter it from the harsh realities of the world. And this strategy, well, it isn't necessarily one that I recommend. I wish I had a magic formula that worked for everyone, but I don't. I only know what's worked for me, and here again, I'll be very plain that I'm not a self-help guru, nor do I want to be, and this isn't advice. It's just me sharing what I've come to realize for myself and how I deal with disappointment, and that is that to the degree I'm able to dissociate my happiness, my self-worth, and my sense of peace from what I do as an occupation or from really any externality, the less I'm disturbed or affected by setbacks disappointments or rejections. It's also to the degree that I don't really have fear in times of uncertainty. This is something that I've only recently began to become aware of in the past probably three or four years. And again, here, I'm not perfect. In fact, three years ago, I had a major minor meltdown when faced with some tough situations. But again, that's for a different episode. This also doesn't in any way absolve me from the threats of uncertain times. Take my gallery, for instance. It's as vulnerable as any other small business right now, perhaps more so than many due to the nature of the art business. So I'm very keenly aware of the risks to my business. And let's even say, for the sake of hypothesis, that my gallery doesn't survive the next six to eight months. Just saying that kind of makes me cringe because it goes so far against the way I've programmed myself to think. And I know without a doubt that that would never be the case. But again, For sake of argument, let's assume the gallery folds. Would this be devastating to me? Someone who has, for all ostensible purposes, banked his entire professional career on it, and now proselytizes art as his religion? Well, absolutely not. Why? Because my ego, my sense of self-worth, and my sense of peace are not tied to the gallery. This, again, is only a recent phenomenon of the last three or four years. Now, if you've been listening to my prior episodes, you might think this is somewhat antithetical to what I've been saying, 
After all, art for me is a religion, and it's essential, and I consider this a vocation and not an occupation. Yada, yada, yada. All of that's true for me, but there's a distinction to be made. The underlying principle behind artwork is that it's a connective tissue to my soul, my core being, and I feel called to be an active participant in what the nature of that core being is. For me, I call it the creative principle, and I feel called to be a participant as a co-creator of sorts. Artwork, making it myself, and promoting and sharing that of others as well as collecting it, well, this is just a vehicle for that. At the end of the day, it isn't the art itself that's important, it's the principle behind it. While I think artwork is one of the greatest ways to connect to one's soul, it isn't the only way. But again, it is the best way. I'm reminded of a quote by some famous golfer from back in the day. I forget his name because all golfers are kind of the same for me, but when asked about being a golfer, he responded that he's not a golfer, he plays golf. The same idea can be applied to making art. I'm not an artist, I make art. At the end of the day, my spirit is so much bigger than just being a quote-unquote artist, as I believe yours is as well. And if you're not an artist, the same is true, regardless of what profession you might partake in. The more that I realize that there's really two me's, the small me that sits at the easel and paints, and the big me that lies below the surface and encapsulates beingness itself, the more distant I find myself from being caught up in jealousies or competition or anger or even fear where uncertainty is concerned. And so setbacks like the ones I experienced last week are just that, setbacks. They aren't devastations, they're bumps in the road rather than tragedies. They're minor blips in a lifelong career as opposed to major moments of catastrophe. Don't get me wrong, they can still hurt. I'm not perfect and I'm no guru or Buddha. Enlightenment is still a mighty far distance away from me. And so yeah, it does hurt when being rejected, but it doesn't hurt that long or that bad. And I'm more able to approach the situation logically and with a clear mind where I can ask the tough questions of was it me and is there something I need to do to improve? Or like the tornado siren going off as an exhibition opens, is it just something that happens and that I have to learn to accept, let go of, and move on from? And so, too, any fear that I might feel bubbling up in uncertain times, well, that's easily dismissed as well. As I know that no matter what happens, that big me, the one that encapsulates beingness itself, well, as long as I have an eye on that person, whatever little me does in this world or happens to him will be just fine. So if I did end up losing the gallery for some reason, sure, it would probably sting for a bit. But I wouldn't let it affect my sense of self-worth, happiness, or sense of peace. Perhaps I'd take a break for a year and then re-strategize and reopen. Perhaps I'd dedicate more time to this podcast and put out three or four episodes a week rather than one. Perhaps I'd travel and mount pop-up exhibits. Perhaps I'd even attempt to curate for other galleries, or even museums. Who knows what I would do. But what I do know is I would participate in the act of creating my existence, and that I would bring my creativity to whatever it is I did, because it's not necessarily the job that's important. Any job really can become a vocation. It's based on your intent. 
So even if I'm working at the drive-thru at Taco John's, well, viva los potatoes so lays. The same thing is true if I ever found myself unable to paint. Perhaps I'd write poetry, or learn the flute, or take up ballet, or just make brutalist sandcastles on the beach. An article from a few years ago popped up in my feed the other day featuring just that by sculptor Calvin Siebert. They're pretty awesome, actually. You should check them out. The point is, as artists, we're going to face times of tragedy, injustice, rejection, disappointment, acts of God, and pretty much everything else that comes with sharing our soul to the public and participating in a business wrought with challenges, and frankly, comes with being alive in general. The quicker you can find a strategy to deal with those realities, the quicker I think you'll be able to deal with, recover, and move on from whatever comes your way. Far be it for me to tell you what those strategies should be. I just know what has worked and resonated for me. I would encourage you, especially if you find yourself easily on tilt in difficult times, to do some serious soul searching and research to find out what exactly works for you and what you can go all in on 100% where belief is concerned. And just know that you can find that balancing point that while you might never be 100% indestructible, I don't think any of us are, that you can be confident in any situation you find yourself in, even if all you can do is let go and let the chips fall where they may. I recently dug a reference to sports ball and not minding ending the third quarter down 31 to nothing. Not if you have certainty at the start of the fourth quarter that you're going to win 35 to 31. But even if you don't win, and this is actually another little secret I stumbled upon, if you can be grateful that you were playing the game in the first place, well, that makes all the difference in the world. So here's to you all bravely choosing to play the game and finding ways to have fun at it no matter what. Just know I've always got your back. I'm here for you if you need me and happy to help in any way I can. And remember also that frankly, if I can do it, then so can you. Oh yeah, that third thing that crashed down on me last week. I took a risk and sent a little painting to someone who, despite my better angels, I rather enjoy watching on the YouTubes. My hope was that he would like it and, well, he might give a shout out to his millions of adoring fans. Now, I knew going in that this was not really his type of art and that this was a long shot and could bomb and crash and burn big time. I figured I had maybe a 20, 20 to 80 shot here. Well, as it turns out, I did make it onto his live feed, and he did look at my artwork, and <clears throat> ouch. Yep, that plane not only crashed and burned, but it then smoldered and then reconstituted itself, only to crash and burn a second time. Needless to say, this was a dagger straight to my ego. Luckily, however, I was quick to rebound and be grateful for the opportunity. And now, I have an awesome story to tell. Sure, it's a story that makes me look like an idiot, but it's fun to tell nonetheless. And back to the music. Oh yeah, then the fourth thing. I lost my voice completely, and it took a week to sound somewhat normal. For those who had to bear through my contributions during a few Zoom meetings this week, all apologies. And now, back to the music for real.
While you may not be able to enter galleries and museums just quite yet, that doesn't mean the arts are standing still. Quite the opposite. There's an abundance of art going on and events for you to attend, all from the convenience of your home. It's happening on the interwebs. Don't know where to go on the interwebs to find all of this amazing goings-on? Well, wonder no more. Visit mplsart.com today. That's mplsart.com. Not only are they the most up-to-date and current resource for all things Minneapolis arts-related, you can read numerous arts-related articles and now find out about virtual events going on on the interwebs. That, again, is at our good friend mplsart.com. Com. And while you're on the said interwebs, be sure to check out NEMA.org. That's the Northeast Minneapolis Arts Association. And spend some time sifting through the artist profiles. With over 1,000 artist members, there's a ton of art for you to not only enjoy, but fall in love with. That again is at NEMA.org. N-E-M-A-A.org. And that's a wrap for lucky episode number 13 of Art Wonderful, coming to you from deep inside the Rogue Buddha Gallery. I want to thank you for joining me, and I hope you do so again and often. Until next time, remember, the best life is the creative life, and the best self is the artistic self. Cheers. And if you're listening, Mr. Governor Tim Walls, uh, best not be messing with the state fair. That show's got to go on. Don't go messing with the state fair now.